we're starting Luke today. I don't know if you noticed, we finished Revelation last week. I didn't notice because I wasn't here, but we did. So I have this line, never fear, Jesus is here, because I thought that was catchy. So chapter one, Luke chapter one, so it's on page like 725-ish in the Pew Bibles, I think, if you want to follow along. So I really like this because Luke starts off and he says, this is why I wrote Luke. Because, I mean, there's four Gospels. You've got to wonder why are there four. So he says, verse 2, it's that he's an eyewitness and he's a servant of the word. In verse 3, he says that he wrote it in consecutive order, which if you're those people that like to read the Bible in consecutive order, this is the book for you. And then in verse 4, he says that he's writing the exact truth. So I don't know if he's implying that the other guys weren't telling the truth, but I don't think that's what he's saying because we know that everything in the Bible is true. So then the first thing that happens is that Gabriel shows up and he speaks to Zacharias. And so this is the first time like anybody, any angel, God, whatever, spoke in 400 years. So then Gabriel shows up and he says, don't be afraid. Because, I mean, if God hasn't spoken in 400 years and this angelic being shows up, you're probably going to die. So I get that. Don't be afraid. But then so Gabriel tells him, you're going to have a son and with your wife Elizabeth, and then we, you know, as you read on, you find out that son's John the Baptist. So then the next thing that happens, Gabriel goes and he shows up to Mary. So now it kind of seems like we're just following Gabriel around. So he shows up and he says to Mary, don't be afraid, you're going to be a mom, you're going to have a baby, baby Jesus. You guys have been here at Christmas, you know the story. So then the next thing that happens is Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. We find out that they're related. And then the end of chapter 1 John the Baptist is born. If you haven't read it this week, well, I guess you would have read it last week in the journal readings, you should read it. There's some neat stuff in there that's not included in the Christmas story that you would normally read. So then chapter 2 starts, continuing our Christmas story. Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, which is ridiculous. I mean, there is no way I'm getting my nine-month pregnant wife to travel 150 kilometers on the back of a donkey. But God does it. And then, so the prophecy is complete from Micah 5.2. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And then an angel appears to shepherds. It was probably Gabriel, but it doesn't say that. But then again, he says, don't be afraid. And then he tells these shepherds, the shepherds go go and find Jesus lying in the manger. And then they take Jesus into the the temple to go be um, dedicated. And then there's this Pharisee in there named... Actually, I don't know the user Pharisee. But there's this guy, Simeon, who's been hanging around the temple, and then this prophetess, Anna, and they notice this baby, and then somehow they realize, oh, this baby's the Messiah. I've never thought anything like that about a baby with their burgers and whatever they're doing. But that's what these guys think. They recognize this is the Messiah. This baby's a big deal. So then... Then it just says they keep bringing Jesus back to the temple. And then in verse 47, it says that people are impressed with Jesus' spiritual growth. So this isn't like, you know, when you were growing up and you would go to your your aunt's house and Gladys would pinch you on the cheek. You're getting so big, you grew a foot in the last month. They're impressed with Jesus' spiritual growth, not his physical growth. So then in John chapter 3, or in Luke chapter 3, we're in Luke, sorry. Uh, So John the Baptist is baptizing people and... And so he's preaching this sermon, and he's talking about honesty and generosity. And if you're not good at those things, you should probably go back and read this. 
And then in verse 21, Jesus gets baptized, and you know, there's the Holy Spirit comes down and the voice of God. It's exciting stuff. And then, and then at the end, it goes into this genealogy of Jesus, which is what Matthew starts with. And if you read them both, it's not the same. And so what I was reading is it says that, that this genealogy, even though it starts with Joseph, is probably actually Mary's genealogy. And then so it goes from Mary all the way back to God as the father of Adam. That's like a serious genealogy. And if you're like me and you just skim through those things, you're just like, oh, it's a bunch of names. That's not important. But if you read some of those names, I mean, like Boaz is on that list. And there were some other names that stood out when I read them, but not now. Anyway, it, it's neat to actually read it. So in, in Luke 4, as we know, after, the, after Jesus gets baptized, he gets tempted. So he, he heads out into the wilderness and he gets tempted for 40 days. And then he, he comes in, comes back into Galilee, and he goes teaching in the synagogue. And if you know anything about Jesus' story, everyone's impressed at first, and then they're like, wait a minute, you're weird. We don't like you anymore. Get out. And so that's exactly what happens here in Galilee. So then Jesus just goes down the road, and then he goes to Capernaum, and then they receive him, so he starts doing miracles. So then in chapter 5, uh, we meet the first of the disciples. We meet Peter, James, and John. And they're out fishing, because that's what these guys do. And they're not catching anything, so Jesus teaches them how to fish. Because when you're God, you can do that. And so then they realize, oh, this guy's special. So then they quit fishing, they go follow Jesus. And then in verse, oh, I didn't write down the verse. I want to say verse 12, because everything seems to be verse 12. But I might be wrong. Anyway, so so then Jesus heals a leper. And it's verse 12, there it is. Thanks, Dan. So Jesus heals a leper in verse 12, which you're just like, oh, whatever. Jesus has done like 15 miracles by now. It's not a big deal. But it is a big deal because like nobody was healing lepers. And there was this expectation that when the Messiah came, he would heal a leper. So now this leper gets healed. Jesus tells him to go show himself to the priest and prove that you, and, and like do the cleansing thing. So now this priest is like, I don't know what to do. Nobody gets healed of leprosy. So then he has to go and find his scroll unroll Leviticus 14, read the thing, and then do this whole cleansing thing. And, like, nobody's done that. That scroll's probably dirty in some back closet. So then chapter 5 ends, and Jesus is talking about uh, old wine going into new wineskins, which it occurred to me uh, this time when I was reading it. I don't know, because I, I always skim those things. And I'm like, oh, I read this a thousand times. And I realized, oh, he's talking about, like, how how their old religious system isn't going to fit into this new thing that Jesus is doing. And I thought that was neat. So that's just for free. So chapter 6, so the first 11 verses I'm going to summarize with what Jesus says in Mark 2.27, that God created the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then in verse 12, because verse 12 is always important, Jesus stays up all night praying about picking his disciples, and then he goes out and picks his disciples, which I'm going to let you mull that over. Um, and then I'm going to summarize the rest of the chapter with verse 35, which says, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So if you haven't read chapter 6, you should at least read verse 27 to 38, because I just thought there were some nice keys in there to live by. So I'm probably going to go back and read it and maybe make a list and be like, these are how I'm going to live my life now, because it's gold. So in chapter 7, uh, Jesus goes and he, 
he heals this centurion's servant, which is a big deal again because, you know, like Luke is picking out the big deal miracles. This is a big deal because this guy's a Gentile. And Jews, Gentiles, you guys probably know the thing. So he does that, and then and then he's walking down the road like he does, and he sees a funeral, and he's like, I'm going to wreck this. And so he he goes up to the body, and he raises this dead guy. And I'm like, who does that at a funeral? So disruptive. So then... So then uh, John, who's probably, like John the Baptist, who's probably in prison at this time, he goes, or he sends some of his disciples, and they, they question Jesus and, and to see if he's really the Messiah or if they should wait for another. And Jesus doesn't really answer their question, but he kind of answers their question. And so they're satisfied, and they go back and they tell John. And then Jesus gets a dinner invite, so he goes to this Pharisee's house, which is weird because Jesus and Pharisees didn't get along. But I get, this is still early in the story. So Jesus goes, and he's, he sits down for a nice dinner, and then, and then this woman rolls in, and, and she starts like putting this fancy perfume on his feet and, and wiping, her, wiping his feet with her hair and, and her tears. And I mean, I think Dan mentioned it when he was going through Mark, and feet were gross back then because they didn't have sewer system, and so your waist just kind of ended up in the street, and people didn't have shoes, and you, you know what happens, right? So, I mean, that seems like a good way to get gastro. Because she, she's kissing his feet, guys. That's gross. And, I mean, I guess that's after the perfume and whatever. Anyway, so then, what, what's interesting, though, is, if you guys are familiar with this story, do you know what the complaint is? Anyone? Anyone? Dan? Not Dan. You're going to say the right answer. Okay, so in, in the other Gospels, when they talk about this story, and it says that they're like, that was expensive perfume and you're wasting it on his feet. And that's not the complaint here in Luke. That doesn't even come up. So what the, what the problem here in Luke is, is a, so Simon says, Simon the Pharisee, not Simon Peter, just to clarify. He says, if you were really thinking, and Jesus reads his thoughts, it's just crazy. So he's thinking, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and he wouldn't let her do this. And so like, I don't know, that's crazy. Read his thoughts. Anyway, so then Jesus says, like, to who is forgiven much, um, then they will love much. So then he's saying, like, this woman's loving me a lot because she's been forgiven of all those sins that you're worried about the kind of person she is. Well, she's not that kind of person anymore. So uh, just to clarify, I don't think this is a contradiction. I think there was probably just a lot of complaints about this woman and what she was doing. Which brings us to chapter 8. So it starts off with the parable of the seeds, you know, where the, the farmer is going, he's just wildly throwing seeds everywhere, and some of them are on the road, and some of them are on the, in the field, and there's good soil and bad soil and different sproutings. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you should read it. So that's like the first half of chapter 8. And so what I want to spend some time on is the second half of chapter 8. So we have four miracles which, as we were looking at it, oh, this is like four storms. So the first one, it's literally a storm. So Jesus and his disciples, they get in the boat. They're going across the lake. Apparently this was normal that these storms would just appear out of nowhere on this lake. I mean, I guess it's like when you live in southern Ontario and just out of nowhere it's cloudy and thunderstorms and it just happens. So anyway, so they're on this lake, storm's happening, Jesus doesn't care, he's like, I have a purpose, I'm going somewhere, 
and before I get there, I'm going to have a nap. But the disciples, on the other hand, which are rowing the boat and doing all the hard work, realize we're going to die because there's big waves and wind and these boats are made like junk. So they go and they wake up Jesus and they're like, you don't care that we're going to die? And Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Verse 25, where's your faith? For they were fearful. So then he calms the storm. They get to the other side. Miracle one complete. So then when they get to the other side, this crazy guy comes running up because he's got a demon, or it's called a legion because it says we are many. So I don't know what that means. Legion means a lot, I guess. And so Jesus casts out the demon. The demon goes into some pigs. The pigs run off a cliff and drown. Crazy. And and so it's, before I get too much into, no, I am going to get into it. So, I, I spent a lot of time, and Dan helped me wrestle through this, and I have no idea why the demon went into the pigs. But you guys can figure that out and grow groups. Um, and if you really want to talk about it, I, I've wrestled through it now, so I can tell you the five options. Um, but, but where I kind of ended up is I think that it's like this spiritual cleansing. Because if you know anything about the Jewish culture, pigs, not cool. Pigs were unclean. So I, I think there's there's this idea of of Jesus taking this this unclean demon, letting it go into these unclean pigs, and then getting rid of it, and it's it's just this cleansing. And then one commentator I was reading said that this this was allowed. I think his, his name was Stephen Short, and and so Jesus allowed this so that the guy could see that it happened. Because, like, if you read this story, this guy was out of control. They, they would chain him, and then he would break the chains. He's living in a graveyard, which is weird. Um, like, it just, the guy was nuts. And so and the other thing to note, um, the people in this area, again, Gentiles, so they don't have this Jewish God, Jehovah thing that, that the, these other cities had going on. They, they were into what's called the imperial cult of Rome which means that uh, like the, the leaders in Rome were important. They were almost deity, and some of them they would consider would be deity, which it, was, it seemed more like a power play than, than an actual religion is what I'm reading, that like, this guy would come into power and be like, I'm a god, I didn't like you, so you're not a god, and it's weird. So these guys were into that, and they, they, would, worship, they would worship their leaders, not, not Jehovah-like. Jesus and his disciples who he just brought in. So then, so the herdsmen who were watching these sheep are like, oh, we have nothing to do now. Let's go into town and tattle on Jesus. So they go and do that. Townspeople come out and they see this guy. And he, in verse 35, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And then somehow that makes the people afraid. And I don't know why they're afraid. Like, Maybe they're afraid of this economic disaster that, okay, this weird guy just came across the lake and killed a bunch of pigs. Don't want to hang around that guy. Who knows what else is going to happen? Or maybe they're just afraid, like, okay, if he can control this guy, who either this demon was extremely strong and able to break those chains, or this guy's built like the rock, and he would just be terrifying anyways. Um, who knows? But they're afraid of something. So, 
So then I started wondering, well, what would happen if Jesus stayed? And like, like, I mean, the other people didn't read these stories, but I'm sure that they would have heard something about this guy, Jesus, because everybody around heard something. And there's lots of evidence that Jesus could come in and he could do more healings. He could cast out more demons. I mean, he just cast out this demon from this guy who sounds like this was the worst demon around. If he can do that, why couldn't he handle whatever else? But the people are afraid. So I think we do this too. Like, like we often get afraid of, well, Jesus, like, I know that you, you've done this and I know that you can work here, but I don't want you to do this other thing. I don't want you to go in this area of my life. And I mean, like I do this where, where I'll go and I'll pray for my family. I'll pray, especially that God do something with my kids. But, but then, then it's like, oh, but I don't gossip that much, God. Like, it's okay. You, you don't need to work on that area. Or like, I don't lie that often, God. You don't need to work on that thing. But, and, and we don't let him into that area. And then much like this story, Jesus is a gentleman. God, God's a gentleman. Like, if you tell God, don't go into that area in my life, then he's not going to go in. If you say, oh, you're too close to this thing, I want you to leave, then he's going to leave. And, and that's what happens here in this story. And, I mean, like, sometimes, much like this, Jesus' miracles are kind of messy, right? Like, Jesus didn't just come in and kick out a demon and all was well and there was roses and rainbows. Like, a bunch of pigs died and somebody lost their, their business for however long. And, I mean, who knows what happened after that if God provided something else. But it's messy, um, have you guys seen the movie Hancock? You know, just me and Dan and Shannon. It's on Netflix. Oh, Kai saw it. Good. Uh, I honestly I haven't watched it in a while. It might not be appropriate, so maybe go on Kids in Mind first before you go and watch it. Um, but so it's got Will Smith, and and he's going along, and so he's the superhero, except he's kind of drunk all the time, and his version of of doing heroics, like in in kind of the opening part. This guy gets his car stuck on the train tracks, and then so he comes, and he like flips the car, but then he doesn't get off the train tracks in time, so then the train hits him, and the train derails, and it's like this big thing. You can see how that would suck, right? So then everybody's kind of like, yeah, we like that you're a hero, but you suck at doing it because you make messes everywhere. And then so the people in the movie aren't impressed with him. So if you haven't seen it, maybe you should watch it. If you have seen it, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And like... Like, we kind of have that same fear sometimes with Jesus. We're like, I know you can do it, but I don't like how you do things sometimes. So maybe don't do it. Maybe I'll figure this one out myself. I'm going to do it not messy. So I have one of these experiences. So I, I was probably like in the five to ten years ago range. We'll call it seven years ago because that's halfway. And uh, And my uncle had cancer. And so I felt like, I need to go visit my uncle. So I, I, we were living in BC at the time, and uh, he was living up in Sault Ste. Marie. So I thought, I gotta go see my uncle because he's probably gonna die soon. So then on the way to the airport, my mom calls and she's like, bring a suit, your uncle died. I'm like, well, on the way to the airport, mom, I'm not bringing a suit, but I'll be there. Um, so, so like, and I know that God wanted me to go to this thing. And I'm like, well, now he's dead. So obviously God wasn't sending me to visit him. He better not be sending me to raise this guy to life because I'm not ready for that. And so I mean, like, 
I went to the funeral and I stayed away from the casket because I'm like, I don't know if this is what God wants, but I'm not involved. And like, it's just that, that fear. And so for the record, my uncle did not get raised to life. I did not ask God about it. I do not know if that's what he wanted me to do. But like, it was just like a fear. I'm not ready for that. I'm not getting involved. Don't bring me there, Jesus. And so he's a gentleman, so he didn't. And maybe that was never his intention. I don't know. But I, I think that we do that probably in less dramatic ways where we, we get afraid of what God's going to do, right? Because you never know. Sometimes he's unpredictable. Sometimes pigs die. So, so Jesus leaves this place and he goes back across the lake. And so when he gets back across the lake, then the people are they're waiting for him. They're, they're, they're welcoming him. They're excited that he's back. This is a good approach to when Jesus shows up. Just write that down. So, so this attitude now gives Jesus the freedom to work. The other people had a bad attitude. They wanted Jesus to leave, so he did nothing. So, so Jesus shows up. Everyone's excited. And then this guy Jairus runs up, and he's like, my daughter's sick. She needs you to come. She's dying. Jesus is like, sure, I can do that. So he starts going, and then, and then all of a sudden he realizes, somebody stole my power. I don't know why he cares. Like, you're the God of the universe. Your power is not limited. Who cares? And, and so I just want to pause for a minute and like, so if the woman, or like, so the daughter, she's not dead yet. And if you remember with Lazarus, Lazarus, I think, yeah. Like when, when Jesus raised him from the dead, he was dead for three days. So, like, Jesus doesn't really have this time limit. And, and if you read the story about this woman, then she's had this, this hemorrhage for 12 years. So what's in there a few days? Like, Jesus could have stayed on the other side of the lake and done a bunch of miracles and then showed up a few days later and it wouldn't have made any difference. He still could have raised this girl. He still could have dealt with this woman. It would have made no difference. But they wanted him to leave. So then... I think why Jesus made a, like, I think Jesus was intentionally causing a scene with this woman. He said, okay, someone touched me, someone, did a, someone stole some of my power, a miracle happened. And, and so now, that, like, because in, in that culture, if you were bleeding, I, I don't know if a little cut qualified, but like something like this, you were considered unclean. So Jesus is making a scene so that everybody knows this woman's clean now. She's been healed. And I think sometimes Jesus likes making a scene. So I ended up getting stuck here because I thought, like, Jesus was not intentional about this miracle. We spend so much time thinking, like, oh, I need to pray harder, I need to fast or whatever, like, like try and do this thing to get Jesus to work his miracle. And he's not intentional about this. And so the only logical conclusion that I came to is that through, like, through faith and prayer, we can accelerate God's timeline. That God intended to, at some point, heal this woman, but it, it was maybe going to be later, maybe like next week, because you know God was hoping that Jesus would spend some time on the other side of the lake, but they didn't want him. So, so her faith accelerated that into the right now. She's like, I'm going to sneak in there and I'm going to do this. 
And so that being said, when, when God moves, you shouldn't keep it to yourself. Because I think that if, if you don't start telling people about what happened, that Jesus is going to make a scene. You don't want Jesus to make a scene. Um, so if you were doing your, your journaling along, uh, there was also, I think we just finished Romans. And so in Romans 16 and 25, I just noticed that, that Paul writes um, that he was sharing my gospel. And I was like, whoa, slow down, Paul. This gospel's about Jesus. And, and it occurred to me, like, well, push and button. Like, it is your gospel. Like, gospel means good news. And, and what Paul's writing is, is his, his good news. It's, this is the work that Jesus did in my life. Let me tell you about it. And that's your gospel. So I thought that was neat. And if Paul did it, you can do it. I can do it. We can all have my gospel or your gospel. So then in verse 50, you know, because Jesus took as much time as I just took. And so now this girl's dead. And so then Jesus says, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. And then so he goes into the house, kicks everybody out, brings a couple disciples and the parents and then he raises this girl. And, and so from this verse, I get this idea that fear is the enemy of faith. Because he says, don't be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be made well. So it's, it's either you're going to be afraid or you're going to believe. And so fear is the enemy of faith. And so I, I kind of had this experience. Um, so when we were at the church renewal weekend, the... The first little bit was about um, being set free from all of this, whatever we have going on, baggage and skeletons in the closet and, and all those things. And and so it was funny, and we I, we laughed about this a few times, that like th- there was four guys, and we were getting into groups of three, and all the guys went into different groups. And I don't know why the other guys did it, but I, like, like to summer, I, th- I think it's like a fear of man. I would rather... I would rather share my baggage and skeletons with people who don't know me and I never have to look at again than somebody who I do, right? And and I imagine that the other guys probably had something similar going through their heads. And and I think too some of it was like I'm not going to hold something back because I know I'm never going to see these guys again. Whereas like with one of the other guys I might I might be afraid, I might have that fear and I might let it hold something back. And I didn't want that. I wanted to go all in, and it was so worth it. So that being said, like, like if you think back to um, like these people, when, when the demon gets cast out, like, like the faith is there, but then their fear comes in, so then the faith leaves. Jesus goes. And then, and then when he gets to the other side of the lake, the people are excited. This is basically worship, and, and they're they're like, "We, you're here. We're so glad. We know you can do things. Come and do things," and and like miracles basically happen by accident. And I think that's that's neat. I remember hearing this story. I don't know if you guys know Bethel in in California. This is where Jesus culture comes from, and I think the guy's name is Brian Johnson, who's their their lead pastor, and he. I remember hearing this story that he doesn't preach on healing because healings naturally happen when the people are worshiping. And I was like, oh, well, maybe we need to worship better. I don't know. But I, I think that's a good place to start that if, 
if, if we see this in scripture, that, that as you worship God, miracles start to happen? I don't know. But that, that's where I'd like to start. And I, m- I remember somebody posted this thing, I don't know, this saying years ago. I think it was a song they wrote or something. But, but the line was, praise before the breakthrough. And I, I think like that, that fits so well with this, that, that all these people are going through some type of storm in their life. And, and you see like, like this crowd, they're praising Jesus. And then, and then Jesus comes through with his breakthrough. And that's just the place to start that we, we praise before the breakthrough. So since we're in North Gore, I'm going to tell you a little farming story. Well, paint a picture more like. So currently, we have a bunch of dead fields, right? And there's, you know, dead corn or soybeans or whatever's going on out there. And then when spring comes, they're going to plow the fields. And plowing is messy because, I mean, well, it's, it's dirty. There's dirt. It's just how it works. And then after they plow, they spread manure. And we all get to enjoy that. And, again, manure is messy and gross. And then they plant seeds. And, and the whole time, like, like, we can all see this happen. You can, like, anywhere you go, you're going to see somebody doing this in a field. Everybody gets to smell it. And, like, we, we all get to participate in this thing. And then new life comes out of that. And so I want to encourage you to do that same thing. So I want you to share your story, even if it's messy, like plowing fields or manure or killing pigs. And, and don't let fear steal your faith or somebody else's because you not sharing your story could also steal, steal faith from somebody else. Like because you telling your story, they'll be like, oh, I'm going through something kind of like that. And that's going to build them up when they know that, that God brought breakthrough. And so I want you to think, like, what's your story? What's the storm that you're going through? What's, what's the storm that you went through that God, that God brought you for, through or healed you from or protected you during? So I'm going to pray while you think about those things, and I would encourage you this week to share something with someone. So God, thank you for, um, thank you for guidance just as we prepare these stories and, and just remind us of the amazing things that that you're always doing in our lives and that that you're working on right now um i pray that you give us confidence to share it that we wouldn't be we wouldn't be afraid of the people who are going to hear it we wouldn't be afraid of the mess that might happen but that you would just give us the confidence to go out there and say like hey god did this thing in my life maybe he can do it in yours too um i i pray that you would just come against fear that you would keep fear out of our lives, that you would stop fear from stopping us from sharing, that you would, you would just block fear and you would come against it. And I pray that you would help us to grow in faith, that we would, we would have more faith and that, that even that faith in us would push that fear away when, when the enemy comes and he whispers like, oh, don't say that or, or don't do that thing, that, that our faith would just quickly push that out and say, but God is good, but God is good. Um, and I, I pray that you would you would give us eyes to see kind of the spiritual side of things that that we would see that that you're working. Um, like I love that that line from from the song Waymaker where it says, "Even when I don't see it, you're working, God." And I pray that you would just remind us of that 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 even when we don't see it, that that you're working, that you're always doing something in the background, that you're always working things for our good and and working things to our benefit. And we just thank you for that. And I pray that you would give us. Uh, hearts that want to praise and that we would just have a joyful expectation of you're going to do things and that you're working in our lives and something good is around the corner. 
So just thank you for, for all of these things and just help us to be able to share it with someone else. Amen.